Welcome to Boston Confidential, Beantown's true crime podcast. Boston is a great city, but there's more to it than the Freedom Trail and Fenway Park. There's a startling underbelly to the city, and Boston Confidential will take you on a guided tour of the hub of the universe, Boston, Massachusetts. Hey everybody, welcome back to Boston Confidential. My name's Barry McGuire, and I'm your host. I'm a 20-year private investigator on the streets of Boston and I help run a company called Impact Due Diligence Investigations. If you need anything in terms of investigative services, feel free to contact me at Impact. If I can't help you personally, I'll certainly direct you to the right person or agency. All right, guys, let's get to it. I just wanted to thank everybody in the Boston Confidential audience for the outpouring of support we got on the series we've done on FBI corruption in Boston stemming from the 1965 murder of Teddy Deegan and the corruption that followed through the Whitey Bulger, Stevie Flemmy days. And I wanted to include the case we're going to work on today in that, but I kind of felt like you guys needed a break. But the engagement on this series, the FBI series, is absolutely amazing. So thank you very much. I have asked in the podcast, do you believe the FBI can continue, and do you trust the FBI? And we got a ton of emails, and I'm sorry if I haven't gotten back to you, but my God, the response was overwhelming. And it's an overwhelming no. We don't trust the FBI. And the only disparity really was, is how does the FBI continue, at least in these emails? And I really don't have a solution for that either. But They definitely need more oversight. They might need to be broken up a little bit because they're corrupt and they don't care if you know it. They don't care what your state police thinks. They don't care what your local police thinks. They don't care what judges say. They don't care what Congress says. They give the finger to them all and they just continue the same corrupt march. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Today's case is the Mark Rossetti case. This goes all the way back to the Whitey Bulger days. Mark Rossetti was a local La Casa Nostra member. I don't know when he became a made member of the mafia, but he was a pretty heavy hitter. He was rumored to be a capo in the Boston La Casa Nostra, and his headquarters was out of East Boston. And I don't think I've mentioned that neighborhood before. It is, or at least it was, largely Italian. I think that's kind of fading now, kind of like the North End. The North End is traditionally the seat of Italian power in the city of Boston. There are other surrounding towns like Revere is largely Italian. I think Saugus on the North Shore is also largely Italian. But by and large, they're Italian Americans who go to work every day. They're not the gangsters shooting up and choking people to death like the Winter Hill Gang and La Casa Nostra. So if you thought at the tail end of the Whitey Bulger saga, don't forget, guys, there were congressional hearings where the FBI was grilled. And there's a report online, and I'll see if I can post it in the show notes, about the FBI corruption in this case. And they promised and they outlined how they were going to change the confidential informant system due to the Whitey Bulger, Stevie Flemmy, John Conley, Trioka there, right? 
But at the very same time as those hearings were going on, the FBI was paying Mark Rossetti. He's a top echelon informant and had been for years and years before that. At the same time as they're telling you we're going to change our stripes because of Whitey Bulger, they were giving Mark Rossetti the Whitey Bulger deal. Just don't kill anybody, wink, wink, and you can be a gangster. But he is rumored to have killed people while working as a top echelon informant. It's just like, what do you do here? What do you do with this? They're telling you in the hearing that we're going to change. Well, at the same time, back in Boston, they're doing the same thing. Imagine this, you're working an overtime shift, right? And you're busting your ass because you need that dough. You need that money. And you're being taxed on that at a higher rate than your normal salary, right? Because you're making more on overtime, naturally, right? So what the federal government does is they give some of your tax money to the FBI. And you know who the FBI gives some of your tax money to? Mark Rossetti, who's a paid informant paid top echelon informant for more than 20 years. It's like you're paying Mark Rossetti. What the hell? Rossetti was credibly suspected in at least six murders during his time as an FBI informant. How many people have been killed by top echelon informants in Boston while they were working for the FBI, right? Gangsters kill people. We know that. You get involved in the rackets, there's a chance you don't come out alive. But when the FBI gets involved, you'd think that, geez, we can't deal with murders. He's killing people. The state police, the ATF, were chasing this guy all over the place. And the same thing, just as they got close, inexplicably, the trail goes cold. Something happens, a la John Conley and Whitey Bulger, right? There's a different player here, and his name is FBI agent... Michael Buckley, and he takes on the John Conley role here. So those of you who had followed the mob trials up until about 2018, 2019, might remember the name of FBI agent Michael Buckley. In 2018, Stevie the Rifleman Flemmy was testifying against Cadillac Frank Salemi. Now, Flemmy had already been convicted of 10 murders with the assistance of the FBI, by the way. So he goes on to testify, this was a murder trial. Cadillac Frank Salemi and a co-defendant were charged with strangling a nightclub owner. He owned the Channel Nightclub, I believe. His name was Steve Desario. So during this trial, Stevie Flemmy is on the stand and the co-defendant's attorney had asked him to list the FBI agent's who were on Winter Hill's payroll. And he named these agents. And the agents that Fleming named was naturally John Conley, John Morris, who they nicknamed Vino, and Doc Turco. He said Michael Buckley was taking money from Winter Hill and Agent John Newton, who they called Agent Orange, for some reason, that was his nickname. Flemmy went on to say that Agent Orange gave him 40 pounds of C4 plastic explosives. And I get it. I know what the defense on this would say, the FBI defense would be. 
You're taking the word of a convicted murderer, multiple murderer. But he's already in the can for life. What does he have to lose? Come on. We know John Conley took money. John Morris took money. H. Paul Rico took money. Is it a stretch that that continued? I don't think it is. So this comes out in 2018 in Salemi's trial. And Buckley had, I believe, been retired from the FBI from around, I don't know, the early 2000s. I'm not entirely sure. There's not a ton of information on this guy Buckley out there. Howie Carr has some in an article I'll post, and it delineates the FBI agents that took money, according to Flemmy. And Buckley's among them. And this isn't the first time that came out. This trial was in 2018, the one for Cadillac Frank. But this also came out during John Conley's trial in Florida. It also came out during Whitey Bulge's trial. So it's all documented. And none of these guys, to my knowledge, have ever been even remotely punished by the FBI. And that includes John Morris, who admitted on the stand what he did. And again, I know I've mentioned this. I laugh about it. I've mentioned this on the podcast. John Morris was never charged. He was never fired. He was placed in the FBI Academy to help train recruits. So that's the big middle finger to you guys. That's a big middle finger to Congress. It's absolutely insane. So guys, from what I can put together... Mark Rossetti became an informant about 1991. At that point, I believe he was a soldier in La Casa Nostra, headquartered out of East Boston, and he ran a large crew. But they were loyal to Cadillac Frank Salemi, and I believe Cadillac Frank Salemi's faction, the Boston Mafia, was at war with Vinnie Ferrara's crew. Vinnie Ferrara wanted to be the godfather of Boston, or however they do it with the Boston Providence Alliance, right? But it appears that Rossetti was loyal to Salemi, and he worked for him directly. And underneath Rossetti, he had several soldiers. And I'm going to tell you an amazing story, part of which... I didn't know, and it involves a pretty well-known murder, and it was a brutal one, and it involved a Massachusetts state trooper. But let me tell you the story. This story was actually pretty well covered by Michelle McPhee when she worked for Channel 5 WCVB in Boston, and I'll put that clip in the show notes, and it's absolutely amazing, part of which I had no idea about. You see what happens in these stories, right? The FBI is protecting these people. And the people they're protecting go on to hurt other people. And this led to the murder of a state trooper. Sorry, but it did. Let me tell you the story. This is the deal. It's 1994, September 1st, 1994. Michael Romano Jr. is in a car. He gets a flat tire in a parking lot and gets out to fix it. This is an old mob trick going back 50 years, probably to the invention of the automobile. So Romano Jr. gets out of the vehicle to fix the flat. They're in Everett, Massachusetts. He pulls into a parking area, a parking lot. And somebody, while Romano's attention is focused on 
the wheel well comes up and shoots him in the head several times. It was a brutal homicide. And like I said before, this is an old mafia trick. And at that point, when Romano's name gets into the law enforcement database, they realize that Michael Romano Sr. is a local mafioso. And Michael Romano Jr. was his son. I mentioned he was 20 years old, I believe. He was a newlywed and had a baby at home and one on the way. So this has the mockings of a mafia hit, and the police are on to that end of it pretty quickly. We never heard about it in the general public that it went this way. What we heard about was what came next. So a man by the name of David Clark, he was a hot ass, and he worked for Mark Rossetti, and he was a jack of all trades, selling drugs. They sold heroin. They did home invasions. This guy was an Italian, but he was a stone mobster and rumored to be a killer, and that would prove to be true. So when Michael Romano Jr. was killed, it came out later that, and this is 1994, so cell phones were just brand new. It was probably one of those bag phones, if you remember. David Clark made a phone call from the area of the parking lot in Everett, Massachusetts, and it was never revealed to whom he called. But after that, about six hours after the assassination of Michael Romano Jr., they believed this David Clark was the trigger man in that episode, and he was Mark Rossetti's right hand man. They believed David Clark was fleeing the area, and he was driving erratically because he had just done a homicide, and he gets pulled over by Massachusetts State Police Mark Chabonair. And rather than try to talk his way out of it, he may have suspected that the jig was up and they were onto him. They weren't. This was just a traffic infraction. So during this traffic stop, he shoots Mark Chabonair, Trooper Mark Chabonair, and I believe Chabonet returned fire, and he did have a vest on, if I remember correctly, but it went under the gap, I believe, between the belt and the vest. It didn't come out for a long time that this could have been mob-related, but David Clark was known to law enforcement. It was really kept hush-hush his association with the Boston faction of the Mafia. And I believe all the way through the trial, they just kept it on the fact that Clark shot Chabonier because they're looking for a murder con conviction for a cop killer. And I don't think they wanted to contaminate the whole case with all this moving parts of the mafia. But Clark ends up being killed. But it turns out it was on the orders of Mark Rossetti to kill Michael Romano Jr. Now, guys, this is in 1994. And Mark Rossetti had become a top echelon informant about 1991, right? So this is a homicide, and Mark Rossetti had been suspected in homicides before that. But the FBI jumped into Bedlam, and this guy's a paid informant, guys, from the FBI. And he's selling everybody out and planning murders. And people say Rossetti may have been there himself, and they split up. But that's never been determined. When Chabonet comes up to David Clark's van, Clark just starts blasting. But Chabonet gets off a few rounds, actually shoots Clark in the head. 
and in the arm, and I believe in the side. And Trooper Chabonet gets shot, I think I mentioned, just below the protective vest. So both people were conscious, and they thought that Chabonet would survive because he was so close to the hospital. He didn't. He bled to death. And it's just a goddamn shame. And you can point your fingers at the FBI in that one. They thought Chabonet was going to make it, but they take him to the hospital. He dies of blood loss. They just couldn't save him. And David Clark lives. But inside the van was like a 32 caliber weapon and two ski masks. So did he have a partner in the assassination of Romano? Quite possible. Imagine this, if the FBI, instead of jumping into bed with Mark Rossetti in 1991, would the murder of Mark Chabonier, Trooper Mark Chabonier, have happened in 1994? If they had focused on Rossetti from the beginning, because he's a violent bastard and he has a history of home invasions, selling heroin on the streets of Boston, if the FBI didn't jump into bed with him, in 91, would Chabonet be alive today because he wouldn't have been killed in 94 if they had slapped the cuffs on Rossetti? I think the answer to that's yes. And if you're from the Boston area and you were around here in the 90s, this was an earth-shattering event, Mark Chabonet's death. They went on to have road races in his name. I believe they still continue today. Chabonet's badge number was made into a sticker so all his supporters could put them in the back of their car windows and all that, and they were everywhere, guys. But it had never really come out that David Clark was with Mark Rossetti, and I didn't know about it until I had reviewed Michelle McPhee's work. So after the homicide of Michael Romano Jr., his dad, who was a made member of the local mob and a pretty big player, swore revenge and he ends up getting arrested because he's trying to find out who was responsible for killing his son and he ends up getting locked up but during that time frame he sues the fbi i don't know whatever happened with the case but romano senior sues from prison he's doing about 10 years for this attempted homicide it was a pretty big deal so you would think, okay, now it's 1994. Rossetti's got three years in as a mob informant. And you can't tell me that the vaunted FBI doesn't put Clark and Rossetti together because Clark was Rossetti's right-hand man and he was a strong right-hand man. So the FBI would have to have known that, guys. They'd have to know that. And now there's a dead trooper. So when do these games with the FBI stop? I believe the homicide of Romano is still unsolved. I'm sure the FBI did not offer their assistance on it. Also, I believe that David Clark is still in the can or he's dead by now. But he went away. But he went away quietly. It was just like to know this now when Trooper Chabonet was shot, man, it, it's just earth shattering. And how do we continue like this? Let me tell you some of the other crimes that the shining star of the FBI, Mark Rossetti, was accused of. First and foremost, he was an importer of heroin onto our streets. We're still suffering the effects of that today, right? 
So although Mark Rossetti was a top echelon paid informant for the FBI during a bloody time in Boston, I've never heard a case they made because of Rossetti's information. Not one. I haven't heard one. You think the FBI would pull it out just to say, yeah, this worked. I haven't heard that. And if you've heard it, give me a shout at Barry at BostonConfidential.net because I don't think Mark Rossetti's tenure as an informant was beneficial to the FBI at all. And you know, it wasn't beneficial to the Chabonet family, I'll tell you that. It wasn't beneficial to the people of East Boston who were awash in heroin. Sorry. And oh, I forgot to mention Mark Rossetti was a famous home invader, which is a 20-year felony in Massachusetts. He was also credibly accused in several murders. He was accused in 1992 for killing Vincent Acera, who was a mob associate, and then Robert Donati in 1991. Robert Donati, if you remember from previous Boston Confidential episodes, seemed to have a hand in the Gardner Museum heist. And Donati was a well-known guy in the Boston mob, not a super violent guy, but he was a made man. He was almost decapitated in his home, and it is suspected that Rossetti did that personally. He's a vicious bastard, that guy. Michael Romano Jr., that was 1992. Kevin Hanrahan in 1992 shot in the head. A gentleman by the name of Barry Lazarmi. L-A-Z-A-R-I-N-I, Howard Farini, 1991, Richard DeVincent, shot in the head, Anthony Beansy, I don't know his last name, Mark Eldridge, who was also an FBI informant, Louis Portella, died of a heroin overdose, supposedly supplied by Mark Rossetti as a hotshot, and William Wild Bill, Irati, who that last name is big in the Boston Rackets. He also died of a hot shot, supposedly given by Mark Rossetti. So, man, this is all while well, he was an informant, right? From 1991 all the way through. So, Boston Globe reporter Kevin Cullen wrote pretty extensively about the Mark Rossetti case. And I'll put the article I'm talking about right now in the show notes. He says, just after becoming a confidential informant for the FBI, the ATF was investigating Mark Rossetti's crew and had developed an arrest warrant regarding weapons possession, a gun possession, on behalf of Rossetti. And they were looking for Rossetti all over the city. And I believe it was just at that time, this was about 1991 or so, and that's when he went on the books as a federal informant. Cullen says whenever the ATF would get close to making the arrest of Romano, somehow he'd catch on and boom, he's in the wind. Does that sound familiar, guys? This is going on at the same time as the Whitey Bulger stuff, so it's believable to me. And they complained, the ATF complained to the FBI higher-ups that FBI agent Buckley was hindering their apprehension of this known violent felon. Sound familiar? So despite being credibly suspected in six murders, 
Rossetti is a confidential paid federal informant from 91 all the way up to 2010. About 2010, the state police are investigating his organization, his crew in East Boston. Now, Rossetti was a main member of the mafia, but he had several soldiers underneath him and associates that weren't. One of them was that Clark guy from the Romano hit. That was the right-hand man. And that wouldn't come up until about 1994, I believe, right? So this guy is just a tornado of crime. He's into heroin dealing, importing it, and selling it in East Boston. He does home invasions, six murders. And this is the guy on your books as a federal informant. And again, I haven't heard that this was effective. Where are the arrests that his information helped facilitate? I had never seen any. So around 2010 or so, the FBI was getting close and they applied for a state level warrant to bug Rossetti's phone and it's granted. And during this bugging process, they're recording all the calls. Rossetti calls FBI agent Mike Buckley over 40 times, telling him, geez, if I get pinched in this and I don't go do time, everybody's going to know I'm a rat, and they would. So they're trying to work out how he could get arrested, do some time, and then get on with his life outside prison. Imagine that. And they go back and forth. Forty times the state police have caught him talking to his FBI handler. And now they go to the FBI, Buckley in particular, and ask him, is Mark Rossetti a federal informant? No, 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 he isn't. He, we're not protecting him. He's not one of us. They lie right to your face. What do you do with that? I've said this in a previous podcast. How do you work with a cooperating agency like that? You can't. Fox 25 News had a good interview with two retired, top-notch state police detectives, Bob Long and Jack O'Malley, and they're free to speak as they wish on this case. And I think it was Jack O'Malley. I'm going to post the interview in the show notes. But I think O'Malley goes on to say, he says, since when does your informant, why are you dealing down, right? This guy's a capo and he's ratting out guys below him. The typical way to do this is you have an associate or somebody, maybe a soldier, and they rat upward. What good is it ratting down? Again, I've never seen any evidence that the information Romano provided or allegedly provided was of any use. But this trooper O'Malley, Detective O'Malley says, why do you want to deal with somebody who's always going down? I think Mark Rossetti, much like Whitey Bulger, was playing the FBI like a fiddle. So he'd give them an enemy who was selling heroin maybe in Chelsea. That guy gets pinched and now that supplier has to buy his dope. You get it? It's a mantra in Boston. It's use the FBI to arrest your enemies. My Lord, nobody ever learns a lesson here. So as a result of that 2010 investigation, Rossetti ends up serving 13 years. Honestly, I've looked for this guy. I don't know what's happened to him since. He'd be typically nearing the end of his sentence or already wrapped it up with parole, early release and all that. I've looked for him in the Massachusetts prison finder, and I believe this was a state case. It was a state case, so he should show up 
in the prison locator, but sometimes they take the names of high profile inmates out of that for whatever reason, safety. But I don't know if he's still in the can or what, or if they took him out and put him into witness protection, but I don't know how they justify putting him in witness protection if that's in fact the case. I don't know if he ever gave them anything they could use over 20 years. So as a result of the congressional hearings from the Whitey Bulger investigation, the FBI had promised to have a U.S. attorney, basically a district attorney at the federal level, oversee the informants they were handling. And I think at the time, the U.S. attorney for the Boston area was Carmen Ortiz, and she just doesn't answer. So what good are the reforms if they still don't answer to anybody? That's the problem here. The FBI doesn't answer to the citizens. They don't answer to Congress. And basically, they give you the finger. And they told you, hey, oh, geez, we really screwed up on the Whitey Bulger case, although it was proven and at least demonstrated that the several FBI agents were on the pad, right? And only one goes to jail. Well, two if you count H. Paul Rico. But Buckley was accused of taking money. A couple others, too. I mean, it's just, I can't keep going all this. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills here. This case is insane. On the heels of Whitey Bulger, it just means they don't care. They don't care about what you think. They don't care what the state police thinks, the Boston police, the Quincy police. They just don't give a shit. I think this has to be either fully reformed or scrap the entire thing and start again. And I know that's a big process, but man, this is rancid. It's just rancid. You're taking information from people who are murdering people in the streets of Boston. Come on. It honestly doesn't seem that anybody else gets this riled up anymore. You know, you have Howie Carr, Michelle McPhee, but everybody's just left shaking their heads. And after the stories leave the headlines, they're back at it, guys. It's crazy, and I, I just don't know what the resolution is, but I just don't think they can continue. And they've morphed in Washington, D.C. as a Praetorian god, providing false information against the presidential candidate and later a president. And I know that president isn't everybody's cup of tea. He could be divisive. I get it. But you have to look at this from a 10,000-foot overview. You have a police agency conducting these political investigations and they're hell-bent on providing false information. The FBI knowingly provided false information to the FISA court, that's the terrorism court, guys, to spy on Donald Trump. And I know, again, he can be divisive, I get it. But just because you don't agree with his politics doesn't mean this isn't a monstrous leap, horrible judgment. It's crazy and it has to stop because pretty soon it'll happen to somebody you do agree with, right? All right, guys, I think that's all I have for you. I'm totally flabbergasted on this. Drop me a line at barry at bostonconfidential.net. Let me know what you think. I'm just out of gas on the FBI. I think I'll do a couple more other episodes, but I'm going to also do one on the national FBI 
and not just their corruption, but their obvious failures, right? The Zanaevs in Boston, the Parkland shooting in Miami. Jeez, it would be one thing if your agents were straight arrows instead of like John Conley, H. Paul Rico, and Buckley. All right, guys. I'm just vexed. I'm vexed on the whole thing, but I'm going to get on to the next one for you, and I'll see you on the flip side.